Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) It's been such a great service. It feels like, is it really necessary to still share something? Do you really want to hear the word? Were you a fool? Are you sad? Okay, well, thank you. (laughs) So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Rochelle. I'm not going to say how many years, how old I am. I'm Henny's wife. We've been married for a while. And yeah, (laughs) a short while. It's our anniversary soon. Um, Yeah, it's really just a privilege for me to stand here and to share with you this morning. Um, I was telling Kirsten I'm going to just disappear. I'm going to sit next to the next to the dam, um, and you'll find me next to the dam worshiping God. <laughs> but it's great to be here and just to share the word of God this morning. So, for those of you who have, who have been around this past couple of weeks, we have been talking a lot about relationships, and I don't. I know some of you are like, "Oh, please, not 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 another relationship talk." Um, but that was what God really placed in our hearts to share to share about. Um, so our series is called Great Expectations, and it's really just about how we have so many expectations in our relationships and how those, those expectations affect our relationships. So we're not just focusing on, um, yeah, on romantic relationships, it's actually relationships in general, you know, and the reason we do this is because God is a God of relationship. And we are in relationship with so many different people. You are in relationship with your colleagues, with your friends, with people at work. Um, There's so many people that we are in relationship with. And I think all of us really want to have good relationships, godly, healthy relationships with our families, with our colleagues. But most of all, we want to really have a great relationship with God. And I think that is where everything circles back to. So what we said is that wrong expectations in our relationships damages our relationships. And I know I am very guilty of having wrong relationships in my, wrong expectations in my relationships. Um, so we really just want to examine more um, what, these, what causes all these wrong expectations. Um, and Devald also shared, and he said we need to align our expectations with God's expectations. So one of the main things that causes wrong expectations or harmful expectations in our relationships is idolatry. So that's really, I hope you like, you don't have to go, you can go back to the golden, to the black calf. (laughs) One of the main things that causes wrong expectations in our relationships is idolatry. And I was thinking, now it is liberty, now I'm sharing about idolatry this weekend, God, what are you doing? But God knows what he's doing. Amen. So let's just pray before we start. God, I thank you that you are here this morning, Lord. We thank you that we can tangibly experience your presence, Lord. That you are just saying, my children, I love you so much. I am here for you, Lord. And thank you that you want to come, Lord, and do surgery in our hearts. That you want to speak to us, Lord. Thank you that we can know, Father, that you run to us, Father, like... um, The father ran to his prodigal son, Lord. You are running to us, Lord, in our sin, in the things that we get wrong. You run to us and say, you put your arms around us, God, and you just declare that you love us. So we thank you for that, God. We pray that you would minister through this this word, Father, to each and every heart, God. Thank you for your conviction, God. Thank you that you don't bring condemnation, but you bring conviction, Father. And that in that conviction, Father, you change our hearts, Lord, to, to really follow what you want us to do. So we just bless you and we pray that you will come and have your way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So when we talk about idols, I just want you to talk in groups of two and, th of two and three. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word idol? Or what, what do you think is an idol? Please just discuss it between, like, just quickly. I'm just going to give you two minutes. Okay. Is everyone shared? I see this morning I've got unlimited time because nobody's timing me. So thank you. Thank you That's so much. Much appreciated. I'm not necessarily, you know, going to be long. So what is an idol? If you can just put it on the second slide, I think this is what we always think about. If we think about people worshipping idols, you have this picture of people bowing before a statue and worshipping a statue. It's not a very nice statue, but this is the idea that we have when we think about idols. People worshipping idols and bowing down before a statue. But if this is what you have in mind when you hear idolatry, then it's easy for us to say, ah, no, but you know, I, I don't worship idols. I'm not an idol worshiper because I don't do that. I don't have a statue in my house that I bow to every day. But we don't realize that idols aren't just statues. Idols can be anything. An idol is a God substitute. So many times idols are good things that we turn into ultimate things. So idols aren't always just bad things. You know, we think it's just bad things. But it can be good things that we make ultimate things that we put our trust in. So, yeah, I think a sermon would not be complete without a quote from Timothy, Timothy Keller. He is really an anointed man of God who has written so many things. And he just has this incredible definition of what an idol is. It says, An idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. A counterfeit God is anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. An idol has such a controlling position in your heart that, that you can spend most of your passion and energy, your emotional and financial resources on it without a second thought. It can be family, children, or career and making money, or achievement and critical acclaim, or saving face and social standing. It can be a romantic relationship, peer approval, competence and skill, secure and comfort circumstances, your beauty or your brains, a great political or social cause, your morality and virtue, or even success in Christian ministry. When your meaning in life is... Uh, to fix someone else's life, we may call it codependence, but it is really idolatry. An idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart of hearts, if I have that, then I will feel my life has meaning. Then I will know that I have value, then I will feel significant and secure. There are many ways to describe that kind of relationship to something, but perhaps the best one is worship. Worship. And worshipping worshiping those idols, those are the things that causes damage in our relationship. So what are you worshipping this morning? Anything that we look to to fulfill us that is not God is an idol because God is our ultimate fulfillment. 
So there are two types of idols. We were doing this course with um, City to City, and this guy, Peter, was sharing with us. And I was so convicted when he was sharing and, you know, the things that, that we went through. And I thought, yo, this is really incredible, and that's why I put my name down to share about idols. And I really trust that it will really also bring conviction, but also bring clarity, and that God will help us in this process of get, getting rid of the idols of our hearts so that it doesn't harm our relationships. So you get far idols and near idols. That sounds funny. A far idol, these are things like power, need for approval from people, comfort, control, etc. And they are more basic and more subtle things. But far idols are the root of your life. It's more, it's not on the surface, so it's very subtle. You can't see it. It's more hidden. But those are the things that motivate our drives. You know, if you want, if someone that likes to control things, that, that drives you. And that control can become such a big idol. Um, and far, far idols work through near idols. So when you look at near idols, these are more concrete things, more concrete subjects like um, your spouse or your career, children, money, your significant other, your parents, etc. So, yeah, I think if you think, yeah, idolatry obviously is not as bad as murdering someone. We think, we think of it like that. You know, I haven't murdered God. It's not so bad. I'm still okay. I haven't done this or that. But idolatry is actually such a serious thing. Um, and having idols of our heart is actually such a serious thing that we should be careful of. Um, idolatry in any form is a serious offense towards God because it violates God's first commandment. Do you know what that is? Yes. Exodus 23 to 5 says, I am the Lord your God. He was speaking to the, the Israelites. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For the Lord your God, for I the, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That is really a hectic scripture. Um, and that word before, in some places it's translated as you shall have no other gods besides me. But also one translation is that it means in my presence. So God says we shall have no other gods in his presence. So if you can just imagine your heart and God sitting on the throne of your heart, he's saying I do not condone other small little thrones and small little gods sitting in my presence. I do not condone other gods in my presence. And 1 John 5, 21, it simply says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. So in modern times, like I said, we don't have statues that we bow to. We don't, um, we don't have things that we can see that are tangible. But there's so many things in our relationships that we make ultimate things. And how that hurts our relationships, that's what, uh, how, what I want to focus on this morning. Um, I love the saying that says there's a God-shaped hole in our hearts that only God can fill. A God-shaped hole in your heart. And so many times we try and fill that God-shaped hole with, with things because, because we're like on shaky ground, because we're uncertain, because we're dealing with things. Um, yeah, but this morning I just want us to take a closer look at the idols of our hearts. So how do these idols of our hearts affect our relationship? And to do that, we need to go to back to, be, back to the beginning, to the fall. And I wrote here, this is, this is where Justin would say, dun, dun, dun. 
We're getting there. And we're also going back to, back to the fall. So if you would just read with me in Genesis 3, verse 1 to 13. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the servant, serpent, I keep saying servant, serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard, your sound, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me. So there are different types of things um, idolizing that we can have in our hearts. And the first one we can see here with Eve is idolizing self. And that idolizing self was actually a problem that both Eve and the serpent had. Eve looked at the fruit, um, and she saw that it looked good. I mean, even that time, women liked pretty things, like things that look nice. It looked nice, so she th- thought, if it looks so good, it can't be bad for me. I know some girls also think if you look so good, it can't be bad with me. That's just an extra bad for me, but just because it looks good doesn't mean it is good. So she looked at the fruit and she desired the knowledge that the fruit would give her more than she desired her relationship with God, more than she desired her obedience to God. And where did that start? It started in Eve's heart. Those desires started in Eve's heart. Um, And so when she saw it, she desired it. Her near idol was the fruit of the tree and the far idol was self. She was thinking of herself and what it would bring her. What could she gain from, from the fruit? What would she gain from eating this fruit? She would gain, gain wisdom. She would be like God. Um, and she was really actually, if, if she was like God, it actually means that she wouldn't need God anymore because she would be like God. She would be independent, you know. And that is, that is something that is so dangerous, thinking that we can be independent from God. So she took that, and that was that self-idolatry was what Eve actually had in her heart. And that was actually what Lucifer, what causes Lucifer's fall as well. That was his sin as well. He wanted to be, he, he wanted to be God, in a sense. He wanted what God had. He wanted God's wisdom. Um, and, and he actually enticed Eve with exactly the same sin. 
And we can see that idols do not just contaminate our lives, but it also contaminates the, contaminates the lives of those around us. It also affected Adam when she was talking to, talking to the serpent and she took the fruit. It affected his life as well. So many times idolizing ourselves affects our relationships so much because it causes those wrong expectations in our relationships. It causes us to just be selfish, to think of ourselves, and that hurts our relationships so much. And like I said, idolatry starts in the heart. The heart is the center part of our being, the place where we get our excitement from, the place where we long for things that are more precious to us. Luke 6 verse 43 to 45 says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. But out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It is from the heart that we can see what is going on in the fruit. So we really need to be cautious of what's going, in, going on in our hearts, and we need to constantly examine our hearts. God, what is going on in my heart? Because everything starts in the heart. Luke twelve thirty four says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when it comes to idolizing self, I must confess, I have been guilty of it as well. Um, and so many times it's caused, I guess, um, a problem in my relationship with God. Um, where I've, so many times I felt God instructing me or guiding me and telling me to do something or to go to someone, to say something, something to someone. But because I idolize my own emotions of worthlessness or I don't feel worthy, then I would choose not to obey God because of the fear of man. I would choose not to be obedient to God. So I instead am obedient to my, my emotions. And then I say, okay, God, um, I know you'll understand. We idolize our insecurities sometimes more than our obedience towards God. And like I said, we justify it. You know, like God is gracious. God knows that this is too much for me to handle. You know, God, I'll do it next time. We don't know if there's going to be a next time. But we always say, God, not now, I can't. Idolizing our own desires, idolizing our own insecurities. And being disobedient to God is really a serious offense. I, Izan sent me a, a YouTube link to listen to this week. Oh, I don't want to cry. <clears throat> Sorry. And it was just so convicting as this man was just sharing his testimony and what God was telling him that we say that we know who Jesus is, but do we really know that he's Jesus, the almighty God? Do we have a realization, a revelation of what being almighty God really is? I, I really didn't. I don't think I do, and I know there's still a lot of space for me to learn to know the full weight of what Almighty God means. Because so many times we're disobedient to God, but we obey people, we obey our fear. And we don't know that God is the, has the power to wipe us all. I says this in Wednesday in our small group. God had the, has the power to wipe us all, to correct us severely, because He is Almighty God. And yet, we bow the knee to insecurity, and we, we, we do not bow the knee to Almighty God. And that, for me, was such a convicting thing. In that scripture, God says that He is a jealous God. 
He is a jealous God. So I know that sometimes we willfully, we sometimes even willfully disobey God. Um, just because we are insecure. And our willful disobedience towards God affects our relationships as well. For instance, when it comes to forgiving, or especially in marriage, it is not an easy thing. God says we need to forgive 70 times, 7 times. I'm like, okay, in general, God, for everything that Henny's ever done, no. For each and everything. <laughs> and it's not necessarily that you must take out your calculator and say, okay, today I've forgiven you like 50 times for the same thing. I'm still good. Um, but so many times it has happened where we've had an argument that happens. We are Christians, but we do, we do not always agree about things. Um, and then I know I have to say I'm sorry. I know I have to repent and I have to forgive him. But it's so difficult because I still want to hold on to my little bit of, you know, I feel angry. And I'm justified in my anger because I was right. And I'm going to hold on to it. And that is actually willful disobedience because God says we must, be, we must forgive one another. We must be quick to forgive. I am quick to speak and slow to forgive. You can say amen, Henny. Thank you. But we must be quick to forgive and quick to repent. But sometimes we willfully disobey what God has already told us. He doesn't have to say it again. He said it in his word. He doesn't have to remind us again. He's already said it. But then we choose not to forgive. And forgiveness is a big thing. I think when you're walking in relationship with people, you're in community, nobody's perfect. Someone will hurt you. But how quick are you to forgive those people? If we idolize ourselves and our emotions, we'll say, God, I want to hold on to this. You know, uh, you know God, it's too much. Christians really need to be more like Christ. Yes, we do. But we're not perfect this side of the grave. And we hurt one another. And, that is, and we repent for that, but we must also be quick to forgive. Because that will just help our relationships. It will stop us from having the wrong expectations, expecting people to be perfect when we are all imperfect beings. So the next thing, um, yeah, no, and the next expectation that we have that hurts our relationships is when we idolize our relationships. Idolizing our relationships. And this is a big one. One writer says that our generation, in our generation, we have a consuming fascination with romantic love. And we all know this is true because every second movie that Hollywood has is this the rom-com. It's really amazing. Even the action movies that I like action. Even the action movies always has some romantic line somewhere. Just to satisfy the girls who like the romance, you know. But we as a, as a generation, we are fascinated with romantic love. Millions of movies, are not millions, thousands, Louis, thousands, eh, of movies that are made about romance and love. Bollywood makes lots of movies every year. I think, I don't know, probably 80% of them are about, is about romance and love and things like that. And many people feel that, um, that that is the ultimate thing, is that romantic love, is finding someone that will fulfill you, someone that will, and if you find that special someone, that your life will be safe and fulfilling. That's someone that completes you. And I know you always laugh. Is on. You always laugh at me when I say that. That whole thing about you complete me. The little heart. You complete my heart. Um, but that is idolizing relationship. And we do that. 
And it's not just romantic relationships, but we do idolize relationships, specifically romantic relationships as well. We idolize marriage. I think when you're single, you always feel like, you know, God mustn't come now. I just have to still get married because... (laughs) When I was not married, I thought, God, you mustn't come. I must still get married. (laughs) Because we idolize marriage as a type of salvation, you know. Um, We make romantic love take on a redemptive role. This is going to make me someone that's going to complete my life. If I get married, then I've arrived. Um, and romance is beautiful. Romantic love is beautiful. God is a God of love. But marriage is two flawed people that get together with the help of a perfect God. And if we have this idea that a relationship will fulfill us, um, it is actually so dangerous because many people expect that romantic relationships will complete them, like I said, that, that um, it will give us significance and identity, security. But then if we do that, um, that relationship becomes so important and we blow it up, that expectation for this amazing relationship is so big. And then when you eventually get into a relationship because your expectation is so high, then there's almost a sense of disappointment because it, you know, what you had in your mind is not exactly what is playing out in reality. The person you had in your mind is not exactly the person, the way they are in the relationship. I laughed at Danao the other day. She said, sure, your, your, your boyfriend really is not your husband. <laughs> it's not the same thing. When is your boyfriend? He's one way. When is your husband? It's a whole new world. So if we have this blown up idea of what a relationship should be like and it's going to be like this and then you get married and you're like, sure, this guy really does have feet of clay. This lady does have feet of clay. Then sometimes it's such a disappointment because we idolize it so much. And that idolatry of the relationship because we're so disappointed. Just imagine being in a relationship with someone and they're disappointed to be with you. How that breaks down the relationship, how that breaks down a marriage. When you feel like my wife or my husband is disappointed to be with me. I mean, that is something that really breaks it down. It's because we have that expectation. It must look like this. And I think so many times it also keeps us from going into relationships because, you know, if if the guy if this is this is the standard, if people don't meet the standard, sorry, it's not you. It can't be you. This is the standard, you don't live up to the standard. And we idolize relationships. Um, Yeah, so, like I said previously, we shouldn't look to our relationships to complete us, to fulfill us. Your spouse or your partner cannot make you whole. They cannot heal you. I think a lot of us come with a lot of baggage and stuff, and we expect that that person will, if you get into a relationship, it will restore your heart. You've had many breakups, but now that one person, the the one person that you must marry, that God has put on earth, that you must find by some magical way, that person is going to heal your heart and all the hurts that you have in your heart. And that you get into a relationship with that person, and the expectation is that they will be your savior. They will be your Messiah, your savior to to heal every hurt that you've ever had in your life. And we put that on one another. So my parents got divorced when I was very young. Um, it was, we, we had a happy, happy family before that, and then there was a third party, and things went wrong, and it was really not lacquer. And I guess for me, there was things that I had to deal with 
in my heart, just trust issues and a lot of things that came from just seeing how the relationship broke down because of, because of all these things. And I had a lot of things that I knew God need to heal in my heart. He needs several minutes. Um, and in that same time, there was another uh, preacher and his wife that got a divorce. And I thought, Lord, if they can't make it work, who can make it work? Please help me in this. And I realized that I can't expect Henny, because that, in that time we started liking each other and we made eyes to one another. But I was so worried because I thought, oh my goodness, these people can't make it work. How are we going to make it work? Um, but I also realized that I can't expect him to be now this perfect person to come and restore everything that has been stolen, to come and restore my heart. I had to go to God and say, God, please heal my heart. Please restore my heart. Be my Messiah. Henny can't be my Messiah. Jesus, you are the Messiah. And that is the place that we need to get to where we don't idolize our relationships, but that we know that God is our Messiah. The next way, that, uh, the next thing um, that causes wrong expectations is idolizing the person. And I think it's easy to idolize people. If we look at that, the scripture again, at Adam and Eve, um, Adam actually was the one that received the instruction from God. God spoke to Adam, God made Adam, and God said to Adam, this is the tree that you're not allowed to eat from. So Adam got the mandate. And God also told Adam to rule over the earth. You know, he had to have dominion. Um, so Adam was the one who received the word. But if you look at the scripture, Adam was standing with Eve when the serpent came. He was standing right there. And he, instead of challenging Eve and saying, yo, no, listen, Froki, don't do that. Don't take the fruit. Please stop. This is dangerous. Um, Adam just... He looked at what was happening, and he just let it happen in front of his eyes because he made an idol of his wife. He made an idol of his wife instead of, of realizing, instead of obeying God. Um, he obeyed Eve rather than obeying God. He put her first. And I'm not just saying that. The scripture actually says it in verse 17. It says, And to Adam, God said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of Cursed is the ground because of you, because you have listened to the voice of your wife. So it was not because Adam listened to Eve that husband has never listened to his wife. That was not the problem. Please. Let's just be clear. Listen to your wives. If what they say does not contradict the word of God. That was the problem. What Eve was doing and saying contradicted what God said. And Adam did not say, no, that's not right. He stood there and he, and he let it happen. He let her eat the fruit and he took off the fruit. So he idolized his wife. And Adam's idolatry of his wife was bad for her as well because it led to the fall. Um, so if we idolize someone, it is bad for them because we put such a weight on that person. To perform, you must be this and you must be that. And that breaks our relationships because nobody can ever live up to the standard that we have in our heads, to that perfect standard. No one can live up to that. And if we idolize one another, idolize the person, it will hurt our relationships. We can even have unhealthy soul ties with our friends when we make them more important, when we put them in a place of having that ultimate importance, it's so easy to have unhealthy soul ties with our friends. The next thing is idolizing our children. Sure. 
Yeah, there's also just the last thing I want to share quickly. Just how do we dethrone the idols of our hearts? Number one is that we need to own our sin. It doesn't help acting like you don't have any sin and everything is okay. Uh, we need to own it and, identify, and trust God to identify the things that are our idols of our hearts. Um, and then when we've identified, when the Holy Spirit has shown us, we need to confess our sins. So a few weeks ago, I actually had a dream and I felt in the dream, God said, I need to confess. Oh no, yeah, I need to, I need to confess, but I, I need to repent. And he's honest saying, what must you repent of? And in the weeks following, there's so many things that God has showed me that I need to repent of. So we need to confess our sins and we need to repent of worshiping our idols. We need to repent. So repentance is like you're walking in this direction and then you repent and then God helps you to walk in the other direction, to change direction. You don't repent and still continue in the thing that you're doing. And the third thing is to disown our sin. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 says he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Turn away from it and reject sinful behavior. So we need to turn away from it. And it's really a process, number four, uh, that we need the Holy Spirit constantly to help us with. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. Um, I'm not just saying you must try and do it in your own strength. You can do this, you know, get rid of the idols of the heart. No, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us, to help us, to be vigilant, to recognize when we fall into those idols of the heart again. And I think that is the most important thing is to be vigilant, to recognize when things, um, when we're falling into wrong patterns and to trust him to be sensitive that we don't get lured into it again. And the last thing is to rest our identity in Christ. Many things we do because we find our identity in it, but we need to rest our identity in Christ. So all the previous things are uprooting the idols, but this one, the last one, is putting Jesus back into his rightful place in our lives and rejoicing in Christ. So today, my question to you is, how is your heart? Who is sitting on the throne of your heart? I ask this because what's going on in our hearts, like I said, it, it, it affects our relationships. If anything other than God is on the throne of our hearts, our relationship with God will suffer and our relationship with one another will suffer. If we idolize ourselves or our significant others, our relationships will suffer. Uh, can we please just all stand? Henny will come now. The band can come up. Amen. Thank you, Rochelle. I, I just want to encourage us. I mean, what, what Rochelle is sharing with us is very simple but very powerful. If our relationship with God is not right, our relationship with everyone and everything else will be wrong. So I just want us to respond to that. And, and, I, and I really think all of us, to some extent, need to respond to that. <clears throat> um, all of us have to, and this, that's part of what repentance is, all of us have to, on a regular basis, self-correct and just say, my heart has drifted. I've, I've allowed things into my heart that don't belong there. I've allowed things to occupy a place in my heart that only God should occupy, and I need to turn away from that. So I just want you to close your eyes and just respond and just say, God, please forgive me for making other things more important than you, for prioritizing things above you. 
for even worshipping other things. Not necessarily bad things, but even good things. Please forgive me. And please, and I, just, just tell God, Lord, I repent of it. I want to put you first. And I want to worship you only. Yes, Lord God, we, we just repent of allowing our hearts to drift away from you, Lord. For sometimes looking to other things to give us what only you can give us. Please forgive us, Lord. And please help us to look to you, to trust in you, and to find a fulfillment in you ultimately, and then also in what you give. And we just consecrate ourselves to you, and we say, Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Help us to worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to worship God. Lord, we want you to have your rightful place in our lives so that everything else can fall into place in our lives and have their right place in submission to you. We just repent of idolizing ourselves or relationships or other people or things. And we pray, Lord, that you'll, as we submit to you and worship you alone, that you'll come And put things into place in our relationships. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.